minutes ago, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise made it official, announcing that he will run to replace Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. And it comes just hours after fellow hardline conservative Jim Jordan publicly said he will run. Both would need to win over more moderate members of their conference. And there is no time to waste. A full vote on a speaker is expected next week. But until then, the House is essentially paralyzed with the shutdown deadline looming in mid-November. CNN's Melanie Zanona joins us live on Capitol Hill. So what more do we know about Scalise's announcement that he's going to run for speaker and who else might be challenging him? Well, Pam, the race for speaker is officially on less than 12 hours after that stunning vote to remove Kevin McCarthy as speaker. And I had been told that Steve Scalise, the number two Republican, had been already making calls last night to allies lining up supporters. But today, just moments ago, he made it official in a letter to his colleagues. I want to read you part of that letter. He wrote, God already gave me another chance at life. I believe we were all put here for a purpose. This next chapter won't be easy but I know what it takes to fight and I'm prepared for the battles that lie ahead. I humbly ask you for your support on this mission to be your speaker of the house. So Pam, a reference there to the fact that Steve Scalise was shot at a GOP baseball practice back in 2017. He is also undergoing treatments right now for blood cancer, but he says he is up for the job. He is feeling great. And this is a moment that he has long been waiting for. He has long been waiting in the wings to potentially ascend whenever Kevin McCarthy did step aside. But it is not going to be a coronation for Steve Scalise. He is going to have to face off against Jim Jordan. He is the House Judiciary Chairman. He is liked by conservatives. He was a McCarthy ally. And Jim Jordan also made it official with his own letter today. And Armani Raju also caught up with him this morning. Here's what he had to say. What promises are you making to the conference? Policy-wise, agenda-wise? The agenda is what I spoke about on the floor, Mona. The, the, we need to pass the bills that need to be passed. We've done a lot of that. Biggest one, of course, is HR2, the Immigration Border Security uh, Legislation. Frankly, I wish Chuck Schumer would bring it up. Now, both men made their case today before the Texas Republican delegation, a very large block of Republicans and powerful block of Republicans in the House. But we're not going to know how this really shakes out until next week. Tuesday is when Republicans will hold their candidate forum. On Wednesday, they will hold their leadership elections. We're also being told that there is now a scramble underway for lower leadership posts. You have Tom Emmer, for example. He's going to be running for majority leader. His deputy, Guy Rushenthal, are now going to be running for whip. And I'm also told that Elise Stefanik is keeping her options open, also interested in moving up the ladder. But the big question, Pam, remains, can Republicans agree on someone to lead their unruly conference. Until they decide that question, the House is going to be paralyzed. They can't conduct any other business. Hopefully, Republicans think they'll have the answer to that question next week. Pam. And of course, the backdrop of that is another looming government shutdown. And around 40 days from now, Melanie Zanona, thank you so much. Boris? Let's now discuss with someone who will soon be voting for a new speaker. Republican Congressman Warren Davidson of Ohio joins us now. He's a member of the House Freedom Caucus. Congressman, thanks so much for sharing part of your afternoon with us. So Congressman Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise both officially announcing they will seek the speakership. Will you support either of them? Well, we'll see if that's the only uh
range of candidates in the field. There are certainly other folks that are kind of feeling out uh, what's possible. And I think Melanie laid it out right. We're not really going to know until Republicans are back in Washington, D.C. together. Uh, most of us are still here in D.C., I think. Uh, people are scattered around the country to be sure, but I think the bulk are still here in D.C. networking and having these conversations. I think it was a smart decision by Patrick McHenry to say maybe we should vent separately instead of all together. And that's been healthy. Uh, so I've had uh, conversations with people across the conference, and what I've shared is the same that I shared with CNN last night is I think whomever can cast a vision that brings the conference together is going to be is going to emerge as the speaker um, because the right question is I think there's it's harder for everyone in the conference to trust any one person than it is to have confidence in a shared mission and on that question of unity congressman how confident are you that the the chairman of the judiciary committee that's carrying out an impeachment inquiry of president biden that is divisive and controversial in jim jordan how confident are you that he can unite your party well, I think he has, and fr frankly, you know, he's perceived so differently in moderate districts, and I think that's something that, you know, some moderates have felt out with me, and I've, I've felt out with them and said, well, how would, you know, this person, that person, including Jim Jordan, work in your district? And they're like, well, now that I'm in Congress, I see why everyone has so much respect for Jim Jordan. I'm not sure that works in my district. You know, so I don't know if Jim will be the guy that will be the first pick for most moderates. But I do believe that a lot of them could see how he would be an effective leader for the whole conference. And I think the other thing is we've had this kind of fractious divide in, in the Republican politics. You know, unity of command is one of the principles of war. And I think how do you unite the party? And maybe it's maybe you have a more conservative speaker uh, and it's the moderates that are trying to drag the party to the left. Part of the frustration for a lot of the base has been, you know, kind of the donor part of the party has been much more centrist for Republican politics. If Jim becomes the speaker, maybe you can have everyone kind of participating in all fronts. And, uh, and maybe Steve Scalise can too, because he's cast a vision as a more conservative member. So uh, we'll see how the conversation goes in terms of, uh, you know, Tuesday night. Sure. Uh, on questions of priorities for the next speaker, do you think whoever takes over should immediately put the impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden up for a vote? I think the most pressing thing is the November 17th deadline. You know, we, we have to get our 12 appropriations bills passed. Uh, Steve Scalise had put an aggressive timeline out just before the uh, CR vote on Saturday. And uh, that was something that was bringing some unity together. Part of the division has been, hey, how are we going to ask for a 45-day CR? In the original calendar, uh, Congress was not in session in D.C. the first two weeks of October. So how are we going to ask for a 45-day CR and then spend the first 15 days scattered all over the world? Uh, we have to be here getting the appropriations bills done. We already missed the deadline of October 1st. So I think that has to be the priority right up front. I do want to ask you about the priorities for spending specifically on Ukraine, but I want to go back to the question of the impeachment inquiry. Should there not be a vote on the House floor for the impeachment of the sitting president? Well, the, the uh, inquiry already is underway. I mean, that, that was already kicked off by uh, Speaker McCarthy. Uh, that's underway, and there's a lot of evidence that would say, yeah, Joe Biden should be impeached. Uh, and so I think that investigation will continue. The committees can continue their work. So I assume that uh, committees will be full speed ahead on the tasks within the jurisdiction of the committee.
There are questions about that, that evidence you uh, purported to, to have shown in the impeachment inquiry, but I do want to move on because you have actually sponsored legislation to define the mission in Ukraine. Obviously, spending on aid in Ukraine is another top issue for whoever the next speaker is uh, to sort out. You've called for the administration to give specifics on what victory looks like. Can you give us specifics on how you define victory in Ukraine? Is it the retaking of Crimea? No, and look, if you look at the administration, they've been all over the map. I mean, they started off offering Zelensky a ride out of the country, and it, it, apparently it would have been okay with them if Russia occupied Ukraine. Now, they would have protested about it, but Zelensky inspired the world when he said, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. So they just kind of reactively have dumped $113 billion into Ukraine, and they've kind of dosed it out. You know, he's like, I need all this, and they're like, well, you can't have that. So while it is grinding the Russian army down, it has ground down the Ukrainian army and the nation as well. So I don't think Biden's approach has been, you know, well thought out. And if it has been, we, we, uh, we can shame continue on talking about Biden's approach. But I'm curious about yours, sir. How do you define victory in Ukraine? If Vladimir Zelensky is saying that victory for him is retaking Ukraine, or rather retaking Crimea, but some folks, especially in the West here in the United States, don't see eye to eye on that. What does victory look like? I think for the United States, our interest is in making sure that the war doesn't spread and uh, there's a peaceful resolution to it. I think that Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine was unjust. I do believe it was preventable, uh, but at that point, you, you know, it's already happened. So how do we resolve that? I think there should be peace negotiations underway that stop the bloodshed. And I really don't think that it, a long war favors Ukraine. A long war favors Russia. Uh, and, it, and it's waged differently. So that's why the mission is so important. If you say we're going to go with a long war strategy, this is only going to involve Ukraine and Russia, Ukraine does not have enough combat power to kick the Russian army out of Ukraine. They don't have enough combat power, certainly to kick them out of Crimea. Or if you go with what Victor Secretary Victoria Nuland from the State Department has said, her policy is regime change in Russia, including war tribunals for Vladimir Putin. I'm not saying that's unjust, but it is unachievable for Ukraine. And Congressman, uh, quickly before we let you go, there is a, a question as to whether or not Ukraine funding will even make it for a vote on the House floor. Do you think it should? Uh, look, uh, the clear will of the uh, Congress is overwhelmingly they support Ukraine, but there's a rule in the Republican politics that's uh, this, you got to have a majority of the majority party before something brings to the floor. And I think that's something the conference should have a dialogue about, because it's right around 50-50 right now whether the conference supports any additional funding. And I don't think there's going to be support for it, frankly, from Republicans until Joe Biden does what surely they already have somewhere is a mission. Maybe they're not on the same page across the administration, but they better get that way, and they need to come here and brief us on it. It can be in the most classified setting, but they do have to define a mission, and we can't hold them accountable for success or failure if they don't do that. Congressman Warren Davidson, we very much appreciate your time, sir. Thanks so much.